All right, can you believe we made it to Philippians 3? We've been journeying through the book of Philippians. And this morning we are jumping into Philippians chapter 3. If you want to follow along, we're in verse 1. And Paul, who is writing this letter to this small church in Philippi in the first century, he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. And he's been telling these people uh, how to live their lives in the way of Jesus, to be like Jesus in the way they live their lives, and to live with great joy and delight in their lives. And he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. It is a safeguard for you. Paul, over and over again through this letter, has been telling the Philippian people to live a life of joy. He says, rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice. So over and over again, this is a refrain in the letter to the Philippian people to rejoice. And then he suddenly uh, shifts into some language we have not seen from Paul at all in this letter. It, it's rather shocking language. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. What on earth? is Paul talking about. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Um, so uh, what we're going to explore is what Paul is talking about here. Who are these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh? Primarily, Paul is really upset at this group of highly religious, self-righteous, legalistic people. Uh, most likely a group of Jewish people who have converted to Christianity, who are saying Gentiles who convert to Christianity have to celebrate all the feasts and festivals, have to abide by ritual purity, and must be circumcised. And Paul is reacting very strongly against this. Uh, most of the time when we see Paul get upset, it's because of highly religious, legalistic people, which, interestingly enough, Jesus always got very upset at these type of people as well. All you have to do is read through the Gospels and look at what, what does Jesus get most upset about? And it's the religious leaders of the day who said, this is what you must do. You must live this way. Do, 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 do. And if you don't do all of these things, then you're not in the in crowd. There was the insiders and there were the outsiders. And we see this most strongly in Matthew chapter 23. You can read through this later if you want to explore what Jesus has to say to these religious leaders. But for, uh, little ways down in Matthew 23 are a series of what are called the seven woes. And Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And so Jesus is saying, you, you will do whatever it takes to convert someone to your way of thinking, to your way of being in the world, but it's the wrong way of being because your whole world is based on rules 
and regulations rather than a relationship with the creator God of the universe. And Jesus just continues over and over again, woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. And over and over again, he continues, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. So this is something that really gets Jesus. It's also something that really gets Paul. And so he uses three strong words here. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators. Now, in our world, one of those words seems not to fit, right? I mean, evildoers, mutilators, but dogs? Dogs? Really? Come on, dogs? Oh. We love dogs. Who doesn't love dogs? You don't dare raise your hand in Marin County, do you? Uh, now, when I was growing up, we had a dog, and we loved that dog. And it became, in, in college, uh, it became clear our, our dog wasn't going to make it much longer. And when our dog passed away, it was just so heart-wrenching. And then while I was in college, I found wandering around the neighborhood this gorgeous Siberian husky beautiful blue eyes and I could not get him to come to me and finally my neighbors they were walking their dog a female and the Siberian Husky a male runs up to the female and he reached around and grabbed his collar no tags on it brought it back and uh, became my dog I named him Moses because he was wandering around the wilderness uh, and I loved Moses my dog my dog uh, so when we think of dog, uh, it, dogs in the ancient world were scavengers, they were dirty, they, they were vicious, they, they weren't what we think of when we think of family pets. Uh, but then we, we moved to Marin County. Uh, this place is crazy about dogs. <laughs> I mean, so uh, years ago, I fly here from Michigan uh, to interview, to work at this church. And the first people I meet are David and Dee Cobia. Now, most of you remember David and Dee. Uh, they pick me up from the airport in this huge black SUV. And they, they felt compelled to explain to me why they had this huge black SUV. It's because they had this dog who was handicapped that required this contraption, this huge contraption uh, to wheel the dog around in. And so they chose their vehicle based off their dog. Uh, th this is Marin County. Marin County, uh, San Rafael, did you know that San Rafael is the national headquarters for guide dogs for the blind? San Rafael, national headquarters for guide dogs for, for the blind. So this is somehow in Marin trickled down to companion dogs. And uh, uh, I mean, who would imagine bringing their dog to a supermarket. Who would bring their dog to church? <laughs> I, mean, I see Wes and Juji with this stroller, and I'm like, oh, they're taking care of someone's baby. Uh, it's a dog. <laughs> it's a dog. Christine Lenahan walks in with this little bag this morning, and I said, do you realize you are playing into something I'm going to say this morning? I let them both know I was going to pick on them this morning when I saw they brought their dogs. This is, so we, do, we don't think, of, Paul says, you dogs, and we think, dogs? We love dogs. I love dogs. Dogs are healing companions in our lives, but they weren't 
in the ancient world. And so this is a very derogatory term Paul is using. And interestingly enough, it was a term that ultra self-righteous religious Jews would use of Gentiles, of outsiders. They would call Gentiles dogs. And Paul flips it on them and says, actually, you're the dogs. Uh, now, to be very clear, Paul is not being anti-Semitic. Paul himself is a Jew. He was born a Jew, as we will see shortly. He's very proud of his Jewish heritage. Jesus was a Jew. And so Paul is not being anti-Semitic. What Paul is doing is he is addressing a particular sect of Jews who have converted to Christianity who are insisting that Gentiles who become Christians must follow the Jewish law every jot and tittle, including being circumcised. And so he calls them dogs, evil doers. When we think of evil doers, we, we think of murderers and rapists and people who are engaged in modern day slave trading and, and this type of thing. We, we don't think of righteous people. But Paul is saying when you live your life in such a way that you require others to live your life that way. When you say, we got all the answers, we got it figured out, these are all the rules and regulations you must follow. Paul says no. No. That you evildoers, how could you expect these Gentile converts to live this way? And so he calls them mutilators of the flesh, which would have been highly offensive to these Jewish converts to Christianity, to call them mutilators rather than the circumcision. They referred to themselves as the circumcision group, the insiders, those who had the mark of the covenant. Uh, mutilation was something pagan temple priests would do, but circumcision was this amazing mark of the covenant between Abraham and God, given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17. God saying to Abraham, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, unfortunately, what the Jews did with this was take it from being the sign of the covenant to taking it to be a form of identity. Rather than finding their identity in God, they began to find their identity in circumcision. They began to find their identity in nationalism. They began to find their identity in ethnicity rather than the creator God of the universe. They had made this something that was required in order to get in with God rather than remembering this. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham's salvation had nothing to do with circumcision. It had everything to do with his trusting, believing relationship with the creator God of the universe who had invited him into covenant relationship. And so for Paul, this had been solidified and made very clear in his own mind. Paul, who himself had followed the law every jot and tittle, who himself, as we'll see, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul, who was this perfect Jew, met the risen Christ. 
and came to realize my identity is not found in doing all these things. It is rather found in the risen Christ who redeemed me from all of that self-righteousness. And so Paul is pretty upset here. But if you want to see Paul really upset, just read his letter to the Galatians. Uh, it is so filled with him going after these Judaizers who are claiming that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. He gets so angry at one point in the book of Galatians that he says this, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Woo! This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, good thing we don't have all the kids in here. Mama, what's emasculation? Uh, this is strong, strong language from this great apostle, this great missionary. He's ticked. He's saying, all these people are saying that the gospel message is Jesus and. Notice other places he has to address this issue. Jesus and angels and rules in Colossians. Jesus and Moses in Romans. Jesus and circumcision in Galatians. Jesus and tongues in 1 Corinthians. Jesus and what? What is your issue that gets you riled up? You, you might never say it as you need Jesus and this to be saved, but you're, you're just really passionate about it. And if other people aren't, they just don't get it. They're not in the in. They're not in the know. They're outsiders. What is your thing that you're really passionate about that if you were really honest, at times felt like Jesus and this. Otherwise, you're just, you just kind of don't get it. You're not on or in the in crowd. Paul, uh, he's pretty, pretty upset about this whole thing. Let's, uh, Let's continue. He says, verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So Paul is saying, listen, look at my resume. Uh, you think you're so self-righteous and you have all the answers and you know what these Gentile converts should do in order to be on the inside. Just take a look at my resume for a moment. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. So some of these uh, Jewish Christians may have been Jewish proselytes, those who converted to Judaism and then later became Christians. And Paul's saying, there, there was no conversion for me to Judaism. I was born a Jew. I'm an insider for sure. I was born a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was Jacob's youngest son. So 
The sons of Jacob became the tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. And when Joseph was thought dead and gone, Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son. And so Paul's saying, I, I am really an insider. I'm one of the favorites. And Benjamin stayed true to the house of David when other tribes were scattering and running away. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, most scholars and commentators think this refers to that Paul knew the Hebrew language. When many Jews uh, had forgotten the Hebrew language, it had been left in the past, they had moved on to the Greek language. Paul not only knew Greek, but he knew the Hebrew language. He spoke the original language. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, a self-righteous man, I follow every jot and tittle. As for zeal, persecuting the church. This was something to be proud of in Paul's former life. Shockingly, he, he doesn't flinch at sharing this here that he used to persecute the church. He used to kill Christians, that which he now is. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, basically, my resume, I was perfect. I was the perfect Jew. And when I remember that way of being, what I think of is dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Paul says, it is not the way to live. My eyes were opened when I saw the risen Christ, and I know now deep in my bones that the only way to live is in freedom from all of that, and to live into the freedom that Jesus offers us right here, right now. So this, this, uh, this way of being that Paul is talking about, that these Judaizers are trying to convince the Gentile people to be and to live into, it is a, it is a uh, way of thinking that says, we have it figured out. We know what you need in order to be a better person. It is a short-sighted view of reality. It is a short-sighted view of the kingdom of God. It is, a, it is a highly exclusive view. These people are in and these people are out. And Paul rails against that kind of thinking. And when he shares his resume and says, look at how I was a perfect Jew, his very next words, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It's all worthless, Paul says. That, that whole former life of mine, nothing. It's all worthless. In, in fact, it's a loss. It's loss for the sake of Christ because I have gained Christ, which is everything we need. It's not Jesus and it's just Jesus. Uh, maybe this morning you, you have come out of a particularly strict religious background that told you these are the things you need to do and these are the things you can't do. And it 
has deeply wounded you. It, it has uh, uh, brought all kinds of negativity into your life around Jesus, around the church, around what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I simply want to say to you this morning, it's Jesus and nothing else. We are invited into this way of living that is filled with the love and grace and peace of Jesus. And all we need is Jesus. There is nothing that we can add on to that to earn any favor from God. There is nothing we can add on to that to inherit salvation. It's already ours as a free gift. Now, Paul is very clear elsewhere, as we've said before, that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is a way of living that is the best possible way of living that God created us for, that he prepared us in advance to do, but it's always done out of joy and delight and love, not out of duty and obligation. It's not done by following a set of rules and regulations. It's always done out of a love relationship with the creator God of the universe and out of a deep love that God gives us for the world. We live into this way of being because Jesus invites us freely into this way of being in the world. And so Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 3, he says, it is we who are the circumcision. So this whole group uh, called themselves a circumcision group. And Paul says, actually, it is those who just say Jesus, period, who are the circumcision, not Jesus and. Uh, Paul was passionate about preaching a circumcision of the heart. Uh, in Romans, he says, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Paul preached a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Not this outward physical symbol that made you in the in crowd. And Paul is not, just to be clear, Paul is not creating a new in crowd. Uh, he's saying this is what everyone, the whole world, is invited into. Not one particular nation, not one particular ethnic group. Everyone is invited in, even the self-righteous older brother, like Jesus says in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 13. Everyone. The one who goes and squanders the wealth and the one who does everything right and stands outside the party all self-righteous and angry. Everyone is welcome at the party. Jesus invites everyone into the party. Interestingly enough, it is the self-righteous who think they're in 
But in Jesus's teachings and stories, it is the self-righteous who are usually standing outside of the party and saying, I'm not going in there with them. I'm not going in there with him or with her. Those who think they're in, Jesus says, are actually out. Uh, do you want to be in the party? Because there's a whole lot of people in the party that you don't think are there. Jesus invites us into the party and into a way of being in the world that looks completely different than the way of being the world offers us. Paul says, we are the circumcision. We who serve God or worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. It is we who serve God by his spirit. Paul is tapping into something here that Jesus has said several years before. When Jesus was tired and hungry and thirsty, he stopped at a well and his disciples went to go get food. And, and this Samaritan woman, an outsider, an outcast, someone who is definitely not in, came to the well to draw water. And Jesus does something that no Jewish male in that day should have done. He spoke to her. He had a conversation with her. And he asked her for a drink of water. And he invited her in. He offered her water, the spirit that would never go dry. And she says to him, Sir, uh, our people, our teachers say that when we worship, we should worship on this mountain. But, but you, your teachers, they, they say we should worship on the mountain in Jerusalem. What do you say? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. True worship, it, it, it's no longer going to be at that mountain or that mountain. True worship is worship in spirit and in truth. And you can do it anywhere, wherever you are. Worship by the Spirit of God is done right here, right now at Bay Marin, and it's done when you walk out those doors, and it's done when you're going to work, and when you're at school, and when you're in the marketplace, wherever you are. Worship by the Spirit. Worship in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of living Jesus invites us into, that wherever we are, God's Spirit is in us and all around us, and we're invited to worship God in everything we do. It is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by a Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in that which is exterior to us. The, Paul says, the only boasting I will do is boasting in Jesus. Uh, notice what he says here in Galatians. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is living this new way of life that Jesus invites us into. If I'm going to boast, Paul says, it's going to be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my boasting is going to be. And so Paul is encouraging these Philippian Christians, don't believe the lie that if you live the way of Jesus and that you then get to boast in that way of living. The only boasting is in Jesus, period. His cross and the power of his resurrection. So this morning when we come and we take this bread and dip it in this cup, that, that is our boast. That, that is our partnership in the gospel. That is our opportunity as a community together to say we boast in the cross of Christ. Because Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that, my friends, is our boast. Christ crucified for us, and Christ risen, and Christ coming again. God, thank you. Thank you for your spirit. I pray, God, that we would be a people who long to live into the love relationship you've invited us into with Jesus, that we'd long to live into what you've created us for, that we would long to worship in spirit and in truth. God, that you would strip us of everything that hinders us, uh, strip us of our, our own resumes that we think look so great, our own self-righteousness, and free us to live more fully. Uh, God, heal us from past wounds, whether from the church or religious institutions, relationships. God, give us greater healing. May we live more freely by your Spirit each day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.